0: Welcome to the Odds number one place for shared sharp betting information. Welcome back to podcast six of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at the Odds and follow us on social media slash the Odds this episode is being brought to you by BetMGM. For an up to $1,500 bonus, please visit TheOzBreakers slash BetNow. Click on BetMGM. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you like to support TheOzBreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theosbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any of our winning cappers to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on Patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Oz if and become a free Picks and Telegram subscriber. Lots going on this weekend, my friends. We have some massive events. Obviously, college basketball is rolling. It's a tough sport to cap, but it's very nice being well into the black. We have NFL playoffs, divisional weekend, and we have a massive UFC event, UFC 297 Strickland vs. Driscus Duplessis in Toronto, Canada. And we have a wonderful guest to, to break down this huge event in Lou Finnecaro from GAMLU.com. He's going to come on and talk about these wonderful fights for the pay-per-view coming up this weekend. Can't wait to talk to Lou. Before Lou comes on, I'm going to go solo and talk a little football and a little college basketball as well as some teams trending up and some teams trending down for the weekend. So being that we have three sports to cover, let's get started right into that right now. Now, all right, starting with the NFL. And if you listened to this show earlier in the week, then you kind of got my thoughts. And to be honest with you, my thoughts haven't changed all that much. You know, I think I was kind of spot on when I took the Packers plus 10 because now the line has moved. It has moved in our direction as usual. And it's down to nine and a half. <laughs> it didn't move much, but there, there we are. It's at nine and a half. No double digits. It's like the NFL is afraid of double digits. It seems, unless obviously you're playing the Panthers or the Giants or the Patriots, right? Then maybe double digits is a little bit more warranted. But in this situation, these are playoffs. These are good teams. You know, it's 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 interesting seeing such big spreads. In these situations. So, when I look at these games, I also do a little homework on refs. You know, I like to know what their tendencies are, and I have databases on that. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit too in this handicap because it's something that definitely should not be ignored. Okay. But we're, let's get started right away with the Houston versus Baltimore game, the first game of the weekend on Saturday. So we're looking at about minus nine, minus nine and a half. Just really depends upon what books you're looking at. It's kind of hovering in that area. Um, The total of this is 43 and a half. It went down some. The weather in this game, I'll just hit refresh here. I'm always have the weather on. It's supposed to be windy, but it went down from in the 20s down to 19 miles per hour. Which is nice. It's gonna be cold, twenty four degrees. I mean we'd expect in the winter in Baltimore. Outdoor stadium. So I mean, this is just a, a situation where the Ravens you really have to take a deep look into them. Uh they had the week off. They kind of had a little bit of the week before off. Rested some guys. Lamar Jackson hasn't played in three weeks. Does that mean he starts out rusty? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, these guys have been waiting for their moment for so long now, you know. But who knows? The only thing we can do is try to handicap what we know, and that's when players have a week or two off after a long season. It's usually a good thing. Now, the Ravens' weakness is against the run. But unfortunately, the Texans only rank 26th in the rush EPA. Okay that's the problem. You know, you look at the stats from an EPA perspective, Baltimore's a little bit better against the run, but from a yards per play given up about 4.5 yards is a uh, is is a little bit telling. Now, they do run somewhat of a cover 2y Tampa 2 Bears type 46 defense from back in the day where the the safeties are a little bit back. They're they're not trying to get beat deep. They're okay with giving up yards down to the 30, down to the 40, 30-yard line, get a sack, knock them back out of field goal position, protect the end zone, tighten up when it comes close. That's always been a standard in the NFL, really. But what they do is have great blitz practices, uh, pack practices, blitz packages and stunts for their defensive linemen they move a lot there's a lot of movement Uh, the offensive line always has to keep guessing where they're coming from and that's why Baltimore's just been such a great defense under John Harbaugh for all these years you know got to give him a ton of credit for that Uh, the the Ravens are the best rushing team in the league 4.9 yards per attempt at least one of the most efficient rushing defenses, the Niners are right there too. Actually, Arizona's been a good rushing team and Miami was before they started getting really banged up. But that's gonna be what they focus on. That's how they're gonna march downfield. And whenever we talk about rushing, when it comes to quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, you have to factor them into. You know, they're kind of like a the third running back of the team and someone that's always live to go take off running. That's a massive issue for teams. It's so hard to stop a rushing quarterback, especially if he's pretty dang accurate down the field. Lamar's having a great year under Todd Munkin. But at least the Texans aren't bad at stopping the run. They only allow 3.5 yards per attempt. The big issue for me is the home road splits. The Texans are a good 5.8 yards per play at home but only 5.0 on the road I think that's a pretty big difference the Ravens at home 6.4 yards per play so that's a pretty big split going from 6.4 to 5.0 I can understand this spread my number is around Ravens minus eight so looking at a few situations with Texans they lost Noah Brown um Besides Tank Dell, who's been injured since, what, November, early December, somewhere around there he went on IR, he's been the best receiver next to Nico Collins, right behind Nico Collins. Nico Collins is the best, but that's going to affect them a little bit. I think they're going to key in on a couple of different guys. So I'm going to kind of look at the prop market. First of all, I like Trey Flowers a lot on the Ravens side of things. The Texans only ranked 20th in opponent pass EPA. So I even see Lamar having some success throwing the ball down the field too. But I I think just Trey Flowers is just has a massive camaraderie or somehow with Lamar already and they know where each other are, is going to be at it seems and when the ball is going to be released. Uh it's been great to watch. I am absolutely floored on how good Flowers has been. Um, I was not as high on flowers as the market and other people, and I was wrong about that preseason. But I have to focus in on some of his props. But I will also say that the Ravens might get Mark Andrews back, which is great. But, man, that Isaiah likely, their backup has been fantastic too. You wonder if they move him in and do a little bit of, both or two tight end packages. That could be very dangerous to a Texans team. But here's another prop I'm going to look at besides some Trey Flowers receiving props. And when I say receiving props, it could be longest reception. It could be total receiving yards. It could be past completions, right? Catches. I might look at a Dalton Schultz prop. Because I think with the Noah Brown being out, Noah Brown's a big guy. They're going to need a big guy to throw to. And Woods is kind of shot, you know. Um, John Mechie is, you know, I feel not uh, NFL wide receiver one, at least not right now. He's had his injuries and maybe that was part of it. He was a pretty high draft choice. But I think it's going to be Dalton Schultz that benefits the most from the Noah Brown injury. So I'm going to look at Dalton Schultz prop as well, but unfortunately, as far as the numbers concerned, there's not a lot I can do with it at nine and a half because my number's eight, which means if it was down to eight, it would be a a, a pretty dang good teaser down to two. But in this situation, I I'm just going to enjoy the game, probably root for the Texans a little bit to keep it close because no one wants to blow out. But I can see how this can get out of hand. Being that the Ravens are so rested, so powerful, and obviously, I mean their last game was Game One of the season. They blew them out. The Ravens blew out the Texans. But I'm not going to completely go by that. I think uh, I, th- I think that the Ravens also have a lot of choke in them. But one thing that you can't you have to remember about this spread if you're taking the Texans, the Ravens have the best kicker in the NFL, and Justin Tucker. I could see them kicking a 55-yard field goal in the cold to make it seven from seven points to 10 points, kind of just locking it down. And then the Texans will be driving, and then you wonder if they're going to try to go for a field goal and then try to go for an onside or try to go with that touchdown. That's just complete coin flip situation. It's a perfect number between the seven and a half, seven, seven and a half, and the uh, 10. So, um that's my leans. Next, we have the Packers versus Niners. Niners now nine and a half. Total is 50.5. Pretty you know, These totals, pretty dang high for playoff games. The Niners are number, one, are number one in offensive EPA. And number five in defensive EPA. But when you look at recency, the Packers are right with them. The Niners are a massive 6.9 yards per play at home. But the Packers are pretty good on the road, 5.8. There's not a lot of teams that are 5.8 yards per play on the road. So you got to give some props to the Packers for that. You know, that's that's pretty darn good. Getting back to the game, I see that both coaches know each other very well. As you know, Matt LaFleur was... uh, Kyle Shanahan's protege for a while. Offense coordinator before he moved to the Packers, what now, three, four years ago. So there's familiarity there. I looked at some recent history. Two and two against the spread for both of these coaches. Their last four matches were... And those are the only ones that I think that these coaches were really head-to-head. But I can expect some trickery from both sides. They both know that... uh, what he, that each other is going to come up with some different stuff they both know that each other is familiar with their plays and maybe that this is part of the reason why the total's so high normally when coaches are very familiar with each other total goes down a bit but we'll see i mean these are two of the most creative coaches out there i think part of the reason the packers have such a great finish here is the coaching it wasn't just motivating the guys from the green bay packers after that massive tampa bay loss It was the schemes. That makes Matt LaFleur a very good coach. I've always said that. And hell, Packer fans were kind of crapping on him in the middle of the season. I was kind of like, I'm not sure, buddy. And then here we are. Jordan Love's being talked about as a franchise quarterback. (laughs) Just absolutely unreal for Bears fans and Vikings fans and Lions fans, you know. But here we are. I I think it's uh, more... Matt LaFleur, at least right now, and I think his offensive line has been blocking again, but it's going to be a little bit different when you're playing against Chase Young and you're playing against Joey Bosa. Some of those holding calls that you avoided in Dallas uh, might just uh, come to fruition here in San Francisco, although the tendency of the officiating crew, Alex Kemp, is a little bit more towards the dog. And that's just kind of the way he is, the away team. Actually, the away team is kind of what he tends to. John Hussey, though, on the other hand, I forgot to mention for Baltimore, he's more of a home ref. So just wanted to throw that out there. But here here we are, handicapping this game. I still can't get to 10. And I can't get to 10 because whenever there's familiarity with teams, and this is kind of like when you're handicapping a lot of different sports and basketball um most likely hockey when the the next time these teams play each other you lean towards the dog you know just because they already played there's familiarity they've seen some of the plays the players have seen what each other has they think about how to beat their opponent the the lineman across from you right there's plenty of reason why things are a little bit closer when they play each other again. But being that these coaches have played each other four different times, I kind of feel the same thing, even though this team didn't play each other. These teams didn't play each other in the regular season. So I'm concerned a little bit for Brock Purdy. You know, I'm, a, I'm concerned for him because he did have that bad game against Baltimore. Very good coach and John Harbaugh, obviously, and you have a very good coach in LeFleur. But I it, the truth is that Love is a bigger guy. He sees over the line better. You know, Brock Purdy's gonna have his plays. Kyle Shanahan's gonna try to get some guys open. But if that defense from the Packers can figure that out a little bit, you might be able to rattle him quicker than Jordan Love. My problem is that there is more pressure on San Francisco, even though they're at home. Because their expectations are Super Bowl. They're the number one seed. Jordan Love and the Packers have already exceeded their expectations. They're playing with house money right now. So once I saw Purdy choke a bit against Baltimore, it's made me a little bit more concerned for him than against Love. But the reason that I'm not putting a lot more on my Packers, on those Packers, My Packers bet, I'm trying to say, is that the Packers have a weakness against the run ranking 22nd in opponent rush EPA at 4.4 yards per rush, and I just don't know how they're going to stop CMC. I think CMC can absolutely run wild against this team. I think it should be a CMC game. If I'm Shanahan, I have the Niners minus eight. I'm just literally right in the same boat as I was against the Ravens. So, find a 10, take the 10, like I said, when I gave it away on the first show this week. But that's where I'm going hold to st- hold steady right now. And I still have no other thoughts of playing the Niners, at least not right now. If I can find an alt line at 6.5, you know, you're going to pay, what, minus 170, something like that. I still, I'm not sure I would do that. So it hasn't moved down to teaser territory. I'm fine with the 10. Keep that going for the two stars. Buccaneers versus Lions. Lions minus six, minus six and a half-ish now. Total is uh 48.5. That's pretty high. <laughs> but here we are. You know, Lions indoor track. And how about that, Reporter? Asking Todd Bowles if he's worried about playing in the cold in Detroit. Oh my God, what an absolute debacle that was. You know, I mean, everyone makes mistakes. Don't get me wrong. It was a mistake. She just didn't do her homework. But anybody that really knows the NFL, that's the first thing that comes in mind is don't. You know, if you really know the NFL, but people are not hired by what they know or how good they are anymore. Back to the game. This Detroit team was really outplayed by the Rams. That's the truth. I thought McVay kind of blew it at the end. And they were better in yards per play. They out yarded from a total perspective over the Lions. And uh, the Rams were great, except for in the red zone, where it counted during a lot of the game. Detroit does not have a good defense against the pass. They rank 25th in opponent pass EPA. That plays the Tampa strength. But Tampa only ranks 22nd in opponent pass EPA themselves. While Detroit has a great passing game and actually a top six rushing game, too. Tampa has a terrible rushing game. They can't run the ball. So unless they're playing the Eagles, (laughs) there's no safe lead for Tampa Bay if they get a lead. Now, I have Detroit by four points here, but I'm worried about Tampa at only four point yards, nine yards per play away from home. They're a much worse team away from home, similar to Houston, similar to that handicap, and I'm concerned for them. Can Baker make things happen again? I'm not sure. But am I up to six and a half? No. I'm at four. Now, I can also see the upside with Detroit here because if that Tampa defense is weak against the run, which the Eagles couldn't really test out because they're on the back of their heels the whole game. I mean, Vea is really good. They did stop that tush push with a little bit of a no-call face mask last week. But maybe around the ends, that's where Tampa's more susceptible against the run, then uh, Detroit's going to be able to kind of put this thing away. And uh, I think Jared Goff has been pretty dang good against teams that blitz him. A lot of that is offense coordinator Ben Johnson, but Jared Goff has been there a long time. He's also a very experienced quarterback. In these situations. You know? So, I also know that Aiden Hutchinson should be able to get to Baker Mayfield a little bit better than the Eagles did. The Eagles got to him a little bit in the beginning. But now, you are going from home to road. That's going to be a little bit difficult in this situation. Even though my number's four... I am not interested in Tampa unless this thing got to seven. I don't think it's going to get seven. I think it's not going to get seven because Detroit's defense bleeds yards. And one thing I don't like about last week is Detroit celebrating so freaking hard to win the playoff game. It's not the way to do things, in my opinion. You don't celebrate until you win the final goal. You celebrate your playoff win after your loss. Like you know, what we we won our first playoff game, here we are, but the way they just did it, it was almost like, puts them into somewhat of a letdown spot. It's almost like that was their goal. It's kind of like that sports psychology that I like to think about. And Baker Mayfield, say what you want about him, but the kid got there. I'm not a big Baker fan when it comes to coming back, and but we'll see how this game plays out. I think it's one of the more interesting games. And I also don't think the Lions are going to completely blow out this Tampa team. I think this is going to be within 10 points for sure. So those are my thoughts on this. Let's move on to the Chiefs versus the Bills. And this is going to be a wonderful game in Buffalo. The Bills are minus 2.5 to minus 3. Total is 45. We have a couple different things happening here. The Bills are getting injured, and the Chiefs are getting healthy. (laughs) Normally, I like to bet the Bills in this game. And I'm just very concerned now because the Bills are injured. And they've been injured with Matt Milano, their best linebacker, out all year. And they've gotten better with Bernard, but now Terrell Bernard is banged up. You know, that is so much of a problem that it's not being accounted for enough in the market. You know, it's not. He has to play this game healthy. It's a it's a massive concern, in my opinion, because Tyrell Dotson's still banged up too, their other weak side linebacker, right? They still got their edge in Floyd and Rousseau. But, man, I'm very concerned for this Buffalo team who already struggled against the run. Now you have Taryn Johnson and Christian Bedford on potential misses for this game. And obviously the concussion here, I think that was to Taryn Johnson. I think it's his second one, too, would make him looking towards missing this game and Christian Bedford's out. When you already lost, Russell Douglas. Maybe he can come back, but I'm not so sure. You know? So they're very banged up on defense. Taylor Rapp is banged up too. My biggest thing is Bernard still. So if that's the case, you have Andy Reid here that was now on an extended week when this Buffalo game was supposed to be on Sunday, you know, now he's gotten an extra day with a just ton of distractions that happened in Buffalo. And you got Pacheco, who's just been running out of his mind, playing out of his mind this whole season. I've never seen a guy just come from a team like Rutgers and just make a splash in the NFL like this. Well, maybe I have a couple times. But still, he wasn't on a high pick. But man, Pacheco and now Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is healthy. He's a little bit fumble-prone, that's for sure. But I'm very fearful of this Kansas City rushing attack. But here's another issue. Now Rasheed Rice is catching some balls on some crossing routes from Mahomes. He's been balling out. Now Sky Moore is going to be back in the mix. He's been practicing this week. Both the Chiefs and the Bills are weak against the run, but the Chiefs are better against the pass, ranking third in opponent pass EPA, to the Bills ranking seventh. And if one of those corners are out now, where do the Bills rank after that? Right? I guess Dane Jackson slide him back in, but he hasn't been exactly my favorite cornerback. And you still have get Travis Kelsey there. So, uh, I mean, the Bills, to this day, haven't been able to stop Kelsey all that well. I mean, the the big thing is they're at home, but I think the spread is a little bit wrong. You know, it seems to be going the wrong way. The biggest wild card here is Josh Allen. And I think that the Bills are going to need a all pro maybe slash Hall of Fame type performance from Josh Allen to win this game with no defense. And that's what it's really going to come down to. So I really lean the Chiefs here with the knowledge I have. But here's the problem. If Bernard is going to go out, this is going to go down to two, maybe one and a half. If Bernard's going to be in, This is probably going to go to three. So you're in la-la land right now. I like the Chiefs at the three. Even with Bernard in, I would like him at the three. But the problem is, there's just a lot of juice you're paying on these threes. And I'm not in a massive rush right now. But I think any three, minus 120 or better, is probably some value on the Chiefs. So I'm going to give you that lean. But I also did something else with the last two games here. And I think that if you can get a seven-point teaser from the three, and I did find a three, and I only had to pay minus 130 on this teaser, it was a very interesting proposition because a seven-point teaser brings the Buccaneers up to 13 and a half so you're you're at least past the 13 right 13 happens plenty 23 to 10 you know uh 27 to 14 very common situation and then i took the chiefs all the way up to 10 because if it is 10 you at least push on your teaser the bills somehow win by 10. so That's right now my strongest play is a seven-point teaser as long as you can match those two numbers up. If you can't match those numbers up, don't do the seven-point teaser. Take the Chiefs up to eight-and-a-half, not nine-and-a-half, eight-and-a-half with a six-point teaser that you're either playing minus 110, minus 120 on, and then you just take the Buccaneers up to 12-and-a-half and and just hope they don't lose by 13. That's the better play if you can't get the three in the Chiefs. So that's going to be my teaser this week. And uh, teasers have not been solid. Uh, As of me, for me lately, the refuse-to-lose teaser was wonderful again during the regular season. But now we're in the playoffs here. But in these playoff games, in the cold, I think Chiefs keep it close or win this game outright. Hell, if Bernard's not in, I wouldn't possibly play Chiefs on the money line. And I think the Buccaneers keep it close enough against the Lions, who are kind of in a weird letdown ease spot after their big celebration for the week. So we'll take the teaser to 13.5 for the Bucks and the Chiefs to 10 for three stars. You're going to need a bigger boat. I also have a premium play on this game, but that is reserved right now for members unless the line moves a little bit more in my direction. This segment was brought to you by AG1. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder and water once a day? Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food source ingredients of high quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash oddsbreakers or click on our podcast episode description. All right, now it's time to talk a little college basketball for the weekend, and to start it off, we always talk about some teams that are trending up and some teams that are trending down. Buy low, sell high. All right, we always love starting this segment off with buy low teams and sell high teams. So starting with the buy low. First one is Texas. Uh, 49th and Ken Palm went through a hard patch Right there, losing a few games. I think they might have some value, uh, being that they're kind of healthy. Actually, they're very healthy now. They've Every single game over the past 10 weeks or so, it seems like one key guy was out. But they're all kind of banded together here. And uh, finally, okay to play. Hunter has been healthy. Um, uh, D. Sue has been healthy. So uh, they lost four of the last, or three of the last four games. They did beat Cincinnati away, which was nice. But now they have a, a, an interesting game against Baylor coming up. I think Baylor's got a ton of offense, uh, great rebounding team on the offensive side. But uh, I personally think this could be a Texas play, uh, being here at home, coming up for the weekend. Number two is South Carolina, 73rd on Ken Palm. This team is better than that number and should be able to make some noise coming up here uh, against some of the tougher teams that they're about to play. I like their defense for under Lamont Paris. Uh, They rank 76th on defense now. I think that's just getting better and better. They play a slow place and they like to slow it down. They're going to Arkansas uh, coming up here this weekend. Arkansas is probably going to be a decent favorite here. I'm guessing three plus points. This could be a sneaky spot for South Carolina, who against an Arkansas team that only ranks 108th in efficiency. You know, uh, on defense, they rank 127th on Haslam metrics in efficiency, adjusted efficiency. Uh, South Carolina's in the top 100 at least, uh, 98th on offense, 89th in defense, and uh, moving on up. So uh, I like the coach for Arkansas and uh or sorry for uh South Carolina I mean I always like Musselman too with Arkansas I just don't think this is his best team and that's probably why he benched Khalif battle his uh last game so I'll be possibly looking at them and number three gonna go with the Iowa Hawkeyes hitting their stride finally you know they were a bit discombobulated at the beginning of the season but now they've been uh shooting extremely well uh also stealing a nice win as a dog uh, away from home at Minnesota just recently. They have a really interesting Purdue game coming up this weekend. Um, I think they do have the offense to hang with Purdue a bit. So that's going to be very interesting. I, I think Purdue, minus Zach Eady, doesn't really have the best defense in the world. You know, they rank 60th against the three. I mean, that's not bad. But at the same time, uh, that's what. Iowa's going to do. Iowa shoots a decent amount of threes. They've shot more in the past, but their possessions are just so high. And Iowa played this team and lost by 19 points uh, back in December when Iowa didn't have it together. And that was away at Purdue. Recency, I think anything over five, being that they already saw that team once, might be a little bit of a uh, good angle to... Go against Purdue. Second game, taking the dog. Next, we have the sell-high teams. And I'm going to go with Alabama. Alabama ranked eighth on Ken Palm. I know that Alabama was something I discussed last week. But their best win was just recently against Mississippi State. And Mississippi State was in a letdown spot. They just beat Tennessee. So uh, Alabama just does not play good D. It's really different out there without Brandon Miller and Javon Quinnerly, And they're going to hit a pretty tough uh, stretch coming up here. And I'm just going to go with another sell-high team from the SEC in Auburn for number two. Number fourth on Ken Palm. Now the media's all over. I'm talking to them, talking to Bruce Pearl. This is the spot where they kind of let down a little bit. And it's going to get a heck of a lot harder coming up here for Auburn as well. Uh, pulling up their schedule. They have Ole Miss at home. Probably going to be a comfortable win. Ole Miss is a little bit overrated, but then they have Alabama on the road, and then they have Ole Miss on the road. So or sorry, Mississippi State on the road, which is worse. So gonna get a little bit more interesting for them, but after those, after that stretch, I'll probably stay away from them until they hit that away stretch at Georgia at, on February 24th and at Tennessee on uh, February 28th. I think those are two spots you might want to fade Auburn. And finally, the last one is sell high on Xavier. They're just getting a little too high here. I think 26 on Ken Palm. They're only 220, uh, 209th in effective field goal percent. You know, Big East basketball is interesting, but they're going to be tough now. Very tough games coming up at Creighton and at UConn. I could see betting against them in both of those, possibly winning at least one, maybe two. And so I, I think there's a good spot to fade Xavier coming up with their schedule. So those are a buy low and sell high teams. Let's move right on to the slate for the weekend. And, Friday is actually a heck of a lot better of a Friday than many of them coming up here because you have Xavier against Georgetown. Um, this is going to be a fat 18-point spread or so. I, I might I might nibble a little bit on Georgetown here. I, I like the coach over at Georgetown. I think that I mentioned Ed Cooley last week. But, you know, Georgetown played tough games against Seton Hall and UConn. Maybe they learned something about about their play against UConn. Sometimes when teams play better teams, they're better the next week. You know, I I think Xavier, after the nice little wins against Providence, and we were on them in Providence last week, if you remember my free play, and then nice win at home against Butler, could have a little bit of a letdown here, sandwichy spot against Georgetown. And then they'll have Creighton on deck. So that's why it's a little bit more of a sandwich spot. I might maybe in the next three games I'll be fading Xavier, but I'm looking at that. Also Friday, another great game is Wisconsin against Indiana. Wisconsin after just getting demolished by, well, a very hot Penn State team and one-sided officiating in the Big Ten. There's That's why the home court is around five points here in, in the market in many of these situations. I mean, it's simple to see. Look at Ken Palm's, look at the Bartorvics, and look what the actual spreads are. You'll see it's actually... About five points of home court advantage, which I don't disagree with at all. Um, was, it's a good spot for Wisconsin and Indiana. I I don't know what to say about this team. They have been very very bad. I I thought that the Purdue game was a spot to back on my back to my ten and a half. It went down to nine and a half, and they got beat by twenty. So I lost that bet this week. But uh, Wisconsin, obviously at home, much different team, much better team. Indiana. Only ranks 300 first in a way home court splits. So that's a good game. Colorado State against UNLV is going to be a great game. Colorado State's probably going to be about a six-point favorite here against UNLV. I, I find that's going to be just very interesting to handicap. I haven't really dove completely into that. But uh, you they both have advantages from three and from near proximity. Uh, this, believe it or not, even though these teams play a little bit slower of a pace, this could be one that you might want to look to bet the over uh, in this situation. Uh, It's going to be pretty high, probably around 148 or so, but I would play it up to 150 in this situation. Uh, Neither defense is great. Uh, Colorado's defense has faded a little bit now that they've played a tougher schedule. Uh, Although I will say their schedule is pretty good against Colorado and Creighton uh, back uh, in the non-conference, but those games went over as well. So I'm going to look for the over in this situation. That brings us to our Saturday slate. And I picked a couple games for Saturday and Sunday that I'm going to be possibly playing here. So starting with UConn versus Nova, you know, Ken pom has got UConn is a one point favorite and, and the, I'm thinking it's going to be more of a two and a half point favorite, total 139. I mean, if it's three, if it's four and a half, it's not going to change what I'm going to do here because I'm going to be on UConn. You know, uh, Villanova is a massively overrated team. If you remember our show from last week, they got absolutely stomped when they played at Marquette, 13 point loss. I mean, that spread got a little too big for me to take, but I regretted it after. I mean, anything under the five is what I'm looking at. There's just no advantage matchup that Nova has over UConn. UConn has all the advantages. The only advantage is home court. So that always gets a little iffy with officials, but, I mean, Dan Hurley can coach circles around Kyle Neptune. UConn's got a massive 17th-ranked near-proximity offense by the rim to Nova's at 255th. UConn's got 47th in adjusted three-point percentage to Nova defending it at 123rd. Same could be said on defense, except the opposite. UConn's got all the lower numbers. Villanova's just very inconsistent. They only rank 336 in consistency. They struggle at home. They're not a good home team. Uh, I'm taking UConn here. This is an easy play, Uh, probably one of my larger plays if this baby's going to be way under the three here uh we'll just I'll throw 3 stars on it. Next, Alabama versus Tennessee. Tennessee minus 3 total 162. Tennessee's in a great spot here. They're getting Alabama at home. They already had a scare at Georgia, but they came back in the last minute if you remember. And then you had Alabama here just winning 5 6 games in a row, 6 in a row against Eastern Kentucky, Liberty, Vanderbilt, South Carolina at home. At Mississippi State which was Mississippi State's letdown spot in Missouri as I said earlier in the show this Alabama team is a bit overrated I think their offense is not number two their defense is ranked 65 but I think it's definitely worse this year than it was last year when Alabama in the past has faced good defenses they certainly tend to lose Uh, last year this game happened in Tennessee and when Alabama was a much better team and Tennessee won 68-59, you know, uh, massive play, you know, massive difference in what Alabama was scoring all year. Now, I like 8-8 and Oates, and he's probably a better coach than Rick Barnes, but it's Rick Barnes not in a tournament, and it's Rick Barnes at home. I mean, that's the key, Rick Barnes at home. Finally, Alabama's going to get in the crux of their schedule facing Tennessee, And then uh, I think they dump that one, and then I might be on them next week, Wednesday, against Auburn. So this is a great spot to back Tennessee, in my opinion. We'll take Tennessee minus three for 2.5 stars. Anything lower than that might be more of a star. Anything higher up to five, and five is my limit, probably would go down to two stars.
1: The only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning.
0: All right, there is a lot of other great games on Saturday that I'll probably be looking at. Arizona will be a massive favorite against UCLA, probably like a 22-point favorite. Not sure if I'm going to get involved if it's that high, but I already mentioned Iowa might be one I'm looking at. I know the the Haslametrics has it by 10 points. Purdue, seven points, I believe, for Ken Palm. 88 minus 81, seven points. So I, I think the spread's going to be more like five and a half or six. I still think that possibly is too high based upon this situation and the familiarity they have now that the Iowa kids saw what Purdue had earlier in December, on December 3rd. So I'll be looking towards Iowa for sure on that one. We have uh, Auburn versus Ole Miss, as I mentioned before. It's going to be a pretty large spread for Auburn here at home. I'll probably stay away from that one. Uh, Duke will be able to get vengeance against Pittsburgh. I find that interesting, but this is going to be a massive spread, too, by about 14 or 15 points. I would actually lean Pittsburgh in this situation. Pittsburgh uh, being very disrespected here uh, against a Duke team that's good. Uh, But, you know, Pittsburgh, there's just one of those teams that kind of creep up and uh, people aren't prepared for. Uh, I think this Pittsburgh team could be live uh, against Duke here, get a little road revenge from that home loss. So TCU, Iowa State, I mean, <laughs> Iowa State on the road, are you kidding me? If this thing is anywhere close to a pick I'll be all over TCU without any arguments. Up to four I would take TCU in this situation. Uh, Creighton, Seton Hall, Seton Hall will be at home. I'll, learn, I'll lean Seton Hall, but man, I'll probably stay away from that. Creighton just had that ugly loss. Uh, just uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before when they played UConn on the road. Now they're going back to Seton Hall on the road. Still, not a great spot for them. I mean, it's not a terrible spot since they're coming off a loss. I guess I would say, but probably want to probably want to stay away from. To be honest with you, St. John's against Marquette. Oh that's interesting too. I think Marquette's a terrible road team. I think St. John's will probably get it together. Good spot for St. John's. Yeah, just a lot of great games coming up this weekend. Baylor Texas, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be a great game. Then you have Kentucky Georgia. <laughs> this is uh this is a big game too. Uh, look towards the over. I mean, Kentucky's just been going over and Georgia plays fast now and Georgia's actually keeping uh, they've been scoring They've been scoring a hell of a lot of points lately. So uh, this I don't think they can make a total high enough for this if it's not 170. you know, I would certainly look towards the over on that one. But we'll see what happens. Sunday's also uh, a great slate. And I got one for Sunday here for sure that I'll most likely be playing as long as the number is within what I think it's going to be. It's going to be Michigan State versus Maryland. I got Maryland plus four at home, total 130. If you remember, I said Maryland is – actually, no, Maryland was not – on my list for by low teams but they're probably they probably should have been this Maryland team has had an awful start to the season but you have to admit that their loss or since their loss to Indiana they've been playing much better ball winning seven of the last 10 t- games since that early big 10 game if I man it, it, if this spread is above the three I think this is going to be a decent-sized bet on Maryland. Out of the last three games, Maryland shot 51.5% effective field goal. Uh, that's pretty good. That counts two road games, too. Maryland's defense have been stepping it up. Now they're ranking 22nd on Ken Palm. Michigan State only ranks 244th away on Haslametrics, and uh, they shoot 51.5% on the road. I, I like uh, Maryland here in this spot for sure. I'll, I'll take Maryland anything above the three. Uh, to cover on Sunday for let's just let's just call it four and let's call it 2.5 stars how much you want to make a bet I can throw football over the mountains well that covers it for college basketball and my thoughts now it's time for a little UFC 297 with our wonderful guest Mr. Lou Finnecaro from Gamloo.com. Now, I'm very excited to welcome back a fight enthusiast and one hell of an MMA handicapper in Lou Finicaro from GamLou.com and the Bout Business Podcast. You can follow Lou on Twitter at GamLou. Lou, thanks for coming back on the show. We're at a new year. Everybody's already got their resolutions going. Some have probably dropped out. Uh, My resolution is to win more money in MMA. How the heck are you doing?
1: That's always a great uh, resolution. (laughs) I think uh, mine is in the same lane, just become a little bit more focused, maybe try and squeeze. Uh, Last year was about a half a unit profit per card, some 44 cards, doesn't sound like much, but when you figure it at the end of the year, 24 units is not so bad. I'd like to squeeze that up and, and maybe massage that to a unit per card. And uh, we'll see how we can get that done. But it is all about focus. And uh, we've only been, we're we're in our second UFC card of the year, as you're aware. Uh, Last week, eight, two, and one for the favorites. So the favorites are starting out firm, but it doesn't deter me being a dog fan trying to derive maybe some value out of underdogs this week.
0: Oh, there you go. And I'm a dog fan as well. But, man, don't sell yourself short. 22 units is great. Profitability is great. If it's one unit, you're ahead of the game. It's just the way it is in this industry. So that's a wonderful year. I I always listen to your show, and you've had some fantastic angles. And I was real excited for your year. Helping me out to prep for some of these cards is always a great thing. But, hey, we have an event, UFC 297 pay-per-view coming up. This weekend in Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Canada. And I guess the first question I have is what's significant about either the arena that they're in or both playing uh, fighting in Toronto, Canada to this card?
1: Well, I'm glad you start with that, Kiev, because there are a few things have to be mentioned. Number one, Toronto. And people wouldn't necessarily understand this, maybe unless they're hockey fans uh, and they're used to seeing guys skate around on ice with two teeth in the front and five missing. But uh, the fight fans in Canada are voracious. There are no more feverish fight fans anywhere in the world than Canada. They match the fervor of those in Brazil. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the fact that it's Toronto and a pay-per-view mean we're in a 30-foot cage, not a 25-foot cage like the Apex. Right. So the the grappling heavy, heavy fighter may find a little more stress or uh, he may find it more difficult to corner, grab onto, and drag down to the floor their opponent simply because because of all the extra real estate, and there are a couple of fights featuring you know, what looks to be wrestler versus striker. The, the next thing we have to understand is out of the 12 fights, nine of them feature Canadian fighters, eight of the nine are favored. Do all eight deserve to be favored? If, if I look at it, I think maybe so, but can we poke holes and is there maybe one or two opportunities within that? Uh, realm of canadian strength uh, that we can try and expose i think maybe there is but let's understand as the ufc sets its table it wants to feature fighters from that area to help grow its brand and yet sometimes we can find these fighters are set up with somewhat favorable matchups i'm not saying it's set for the canadians to sweep but if a guy blindly put 10 bucks on every Canadian on Saturday night, I think you possibly win some money, despite the fact that some are favorites, that's that it. most are favorites.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a key part of it. Like you said, Canadian fighters. Um, I, My next question was, are there a lot of Canadian fighters here? I think I counted eight of them, Lou, and that's a decent amount for any event.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, nine Canadian fighters uh, and you know the fans are going to be raucous from uh, the first fight with Malcolm Gordon uh and then they'll have to sit on their hands because it's the co main and main event that does not feature any canadians
0: well there you go so the co main and main event are just straight up different countries not from there but you know what they'll have their fill of their own guys i think it's just you know going to be fun to watch these title this big title uh contention right here in the middleweight here especially between two very accomplished fighters and Sean Strickland and Driscus Duplessis so I'm very excited for that and yeah people could say the the women's Bantan uh, title fight is interesting too now obviously Nunez is gone and <laughs> things change my man and uh, obviously belts have to pass but uh, uh, that's going to be a very interesting fight as well to me but before we get to the main card I always like to ask you about the undercard. Uh, are there any fights that stick out to you that you want to discuss or possibly even have a plan?
1: Well, uh, it, it's, it's actually the undercard where I'm going to be fishing a little bit more for those live underdogs. Uh, the main card uh, we'll get to, but I, I find less underdog fodder there. Uh, but to start with, um, and I'll go quick. Uh, in the second fight in uh, Canadian jazz, j- Jazz Davicious is fighting a Brazilian Beche Cachoeira. Excuse that pronunciation. That's okay. <laughs> uh, jazz and cachuera. So what we have in Jasmine is a, a mean fighter that really is... Uh, very well rounded. She's coming in on a stepping stone of winds. And she's a grimy, gritty grappling uh, fighter, very aggressive. She's going to go right at Cachoeira. Cachoeira on the other side is uh, fully aware of, of her. And it's Priscilla Cachoeira, excuse me. Cachoeira is completely aware that she's set up here as the sugar daddy that's gonna uh, show up and apparently supposed to lay down for jazz, jazz Uh This thing opened 335, Jasmine, and now she's up to 380. The Brazilian Cachoeira now uh, plus 330 or so. Uh, usually these fights will go the distance, women's fights, very few end and finish, and so uh, while I think Jasmine is the correct side here, I wouldn't put past a couple of things. Number one, the total in the fight opened one and a half, and over minus one fifty five. I really believe that if Jazz wins, it's just de- it's decision. I don't know that she is strong enough to get. Cachuera out of there, and cachuera has got power. She's going to come in and try and knock the block off Jazz. I'm not, I'm not against a little money on Cashuera here as a live dog. The next fight is Johan Liness and Sam Patterson. Now, Liness, Canadian, and he's fighting in Canada, taking on Sam Patterson, who's a long, tall drink of water. If you look at the uh, specifics here, Patterson, 6'3 for a 170-pound 170 fighter, 27 years old, and is going to have a 2-inch reach advantage besides 2-inch height advantage. Patterson lost his last fight uh, against a young power slugger named Ashmuz. Uh He was knocked out in his hometown. Now he has to pay the price for that and travel to Canada to face Lynesse, who has had some gas problems before. But I believe those will be very well taken care of, understanding he's fighting in front of his home crowd. Uh, Lanness now priced around that minus 150. Uh, we used him on the podcast uh, as a second leg of a parlay. So we hold Liness in a in a positive money situation coming in, into this fight. But I'd be remiss not to mention him because I think he has every bit the power that Mr. Ashmuz does. And I think Patterson, uh, being as long and tall as he is, compromises himself to make this weight class. And he may not do so anymore after this fight with Linesse. I I look for the hometown Linesse to be in good position there. Uh, Next, we'll go two fights away from that. And this is a very interesting one, Kiev, because... We've got a uh, basic rematch of a fight that these guys fought within a year, and it's the hometown CIDE, and he's fighting a guy named Ramon Tavares. Now, Side is all the hype in Canada, and he earned his UFC ticket by knocking out Ramon Tavares uh, in a contender fight some, some uh, months ago. I remember watching the fight at the time, and I I remember Dana White's comments uh, at that time, and that was that the ref that stepped in and called that a a KO or a TKO did the worst job he's ever experienced in his career, and I agreed. Uh, The fight should not have been stopped. It was stopped early, but make no mistake about it, um, Mr. Sedei, was clearly winning the fight when it was stopped flash forward to remotely so the result of that was dana gave mr uh, Tavares another chance and what he do he went out and completely k-o'd his next opponent in a contender fight as an underdog and now the ufc wants to make sure this is a fair situation and they're putting these two guys right back in the cage together. I think this is a really tough spot for the Canadian here today. Uh, He already supposedly beat him. Now he has to go back, take him again, and he has not fought, yet Ramon has fought and coming off a very impressive KO. Uh, As an underdog, here's a fight, open today, Minus 180. Now it's only minus 185. Not a lot of movement here. I like Ramon Tabara's a little bit in this situation.
0: Wow. And, you know, it's funny. I was keying in on this fight as well, but maybe from a different perspective, I was going to look under one and a half rounds, okay. Lou. Um, looking at some of these fighters' histories, you know, especially when it comes to Seday. Most of his stuff has been finished in the first. So I don't even, I can't even gauge how much of a gas tank he has. I know he went five rounds back um, in Battlefield Fight League, but that was, you know, four fights ago or so. He likes to get out early, and these guys are punchers. I think this could be a very violent fight. And now that you added that story to it, there's a storyline now. I think maybe that puts a little bit more towards the first round. As far as effort from a guy like Ramon Taveres, so that almost makes me like it a little bit more. It's pretty much at even money right now for the total over or under one and a half rounds,
1: yeah, and it opened minus one seventy five to the over, so that that's getting steam that under,
0: yeah, I mean, I wish I grabbed it earlier. <laughs>
1: that's the thing you. Mean- you and me both. I, and, and I made this note on Tuesday or on Monday, I should say, when I do my opening line look and I had seen that it opened 75 was 130 now is down. So uh, I don't know that I'm uh, quite so enamored on the total. I would surely be more enamored on Fight Does Not Go The Distance because you're right. I, I think somebody's going to come out of here getting finished.
0: Yeah, Fight Doesn't Go The Distance. You're laying some good wood on that. Probably minus 250 or something is what I think I saw. I'd have to relook at that. But um, the always thing that worries me is when you get into the Bam Tam weights uh, and, the, and the feather weights and everything, those guys in general will last longer. So that. That is, and that's a general it's, statement.
1: Especially, Yes, it's general. And especially now you're putting them in all that real estate. It's like two flies in a barrel trying to compete. Uh, so I totally get, I get your drift there. I'm trying to look for, uh, uh, to fight to start round two. Uh, no, you get plus 140 if you like your first round. Fight to start round three. Uh, The no is minus 190. So they're not doing you any favors. They're aware of what we're speaking of.
0: They certainly are aware of it. But um, I'm going to still key in on it for just the history. I'm not sure it would be a large play if I get to the board on that one anyway. But no, good stuff um, and uh, great advice on that for sure. So. You know, it's, and you have Canadian fighter in almost every single fight. Uh, in the prelims, Siday and Tavares is really the only one without a Canadian flag next to him. Jordan is an interesting one. I put next to Jordane, Um Actually, sorry, I actually put Sean Woodson with a question mark. I think I liked uh, Woodson a little bit more with the plus money. Not saying I'm going to get to the window, but I thought that Sean Woodson was... Getting a little underpriced just because of him not being Canadian. Maybe you can have any quick thoughts on that.
1: This is Woodson's first fight outside the United States. And what I'll be watching for for him at, with that frame, 6'2, 79 inch reach, is his cut. Uh, he, he had a great uh, win against uh, Bazooka his last out. He opened plus 140. Now he's plus 180. Everything there is. Uh, is speaking to me like a live dog. Now, with Jordan, we have a Canadian fighter that now that John McDessie has retired, he's the most tenured Canadian fighter. He's never been able to fight in Canada. He's really looking forward to it. I think we're going to get his best effort. You might have just diagnosed what might be one of the best fights of the night. I don't know that I have a strong opinion either way, but if Woodson is maybe one of the first, uh, in the first 20 minutes, he steps on the scale, looks good. And he gets to go back and drink orange juice and eat bananas. <laughs> I might have him, uh, targeted as a live dog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him fight before. And even though he's got that tall frame, he seems to move himself well with it. Uh, he's got that draw, but three wins in a row minus the draw against Luis Sildana. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to definitely look at it a little bit deeper. If there's a Canadian that was going to fade, it was going to be Jordain on this situation. So we'll take another dive into this one. But let's get to the main card then. And we have a wonderful fight with uh, actually two non-Canadians, Arnold Allen, uh, I believe from the UK, uh, I think. I'll have to double-check that. Uh, against Movsar Evalov. So what are your thoughts on this one? starting out the main card
1: yeah russia versus england and should be a really awesome fight and here's the one maybe referenced where uh the pronunciation with a guy with my last name shouldn't mispronounce other guy's last names but uh (laughs) russian evloev uh the guy makes no qualms about being a wrestling based fighter and and that's to me i I love that. Now, everybody wants to put on a show and win bonuses by using their hands and flashy knockouts and everything. He just wants to win. He wants error-free fights, and I respect him for that. Now, that being said, he really needs a win here, and if he can get a win against Allen, who's a pedigree top-ranked fighter, he really skyrockets up the rankings. Uh, As far as Allen, he'll be an inch taller. He's a lefty. And uh, while he isn't doesn't have a reach advantage, he he will be, uh, I believe, uh, the fighter that has more pedigreed uh, big time five round fights, meaning he just got beat by Max Holloway in a five round fight. He's been through this before. Now, with this being only three rounds, he's going to allow it to go now. the Russian Evloev doesn't believe that Allen's takedown defense can even come close to stopping him. And you know how those Russian wrestlers are. They're they're unrelenting like a steamroller. Mm-hmm. They'll just roll you over. Now, Allen uh, has, uh, and I watched the interviews, he's been uh, training with 170 pound guys one after another all trying to take him down. So he knows exactly what's coming. And in this fight, As long as it remains on the feet, Allen will be the sharper, faster, crisper, more refined striker by far as well defensively. So Evloev, though this fight starts on the feet, doesn't want to spend too much time with Allen on the feet. This fight I see opening at 155 for the Russian. He was a minus 155. On Monday it was minus 185. And just before... Before we came on here today, and I'm looking at DraftKings primarily, he's minus 190. That that segment of opening between 100 and 190, and then growing is is really a tenderloin segment for looking at dogs. And Allen fits that. And I'll have to do a little more research, but I do like Allen in this fight. In fact, if I play it, it's Allen uh, or pass.
0: You know, Evloev, one of the first things you look at is I mean his last what? 7 8 fights went to decision and the one that didn't was deep into the 5th round anyway against Rafael Diaz back in 2018. This guy hasn't had a finish since July 21st of 2018, so the natural thing that people do is look to see what his price is winning by decision. It's like 10 cents cheaper. You know, it is not Anything that you want to look at for any situation, I was—I laughed at that price, Lou, when I saw that. But the books kind of know where people tend to go to.
1: They—they know what we're up to, Kian. Dog on it, and and that's a (laughs) that's a pain. But what I will say is, in uh, Evloev's last fight, he fought a guy named Diego Lopez. And it was a tough spot because Lopez took the fight on very short notice and jumped in there and and he gave Evloev all he could handle. Allen saw that, and I think Allen's greatly encouraged by uh, that last fight. It, this is another fight it should be a banger.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with you too. Let's move on to the next one then. Chris Curtis against Mark Andre Berryult, and I have to get the updated. I know I don't think one sixty five is correct. One fifty four. Plus 154 on Marc-Andre Berriot's side. Chris Curtis's is is minus 185. So, I mean, Chris Curtis has been one of those guys that I haven't been able to figure out well, Lou. I'm pretty sure I've lost on a few of his last fights when I was high on him. You know, I kick myself when he fights a long, tall fighter, uh, and then they they just move backwards and stick him in. And I believe that's happened a few different times to Curtis yet. Curtis uh, has beaten some fighters that really surprised me before that. So I, I, I've been kind of the yin and yang on it on the wrong side of buying on him. And uh, maybe I, I don't want to call it bitterness here, but I, it made immediately made me look towards Mark Andre burial here, especially because, you know, he's the price at the dog and, you can't deny that I, he's gotten better. I know he lost to Fluffy. I think it's okay losing to Fluffy Hernandez because Fluffy Fernandez is fantastic, and he's going to be in the next main card, uh, main UFC event coming up too, and I can't wait to talk about that. But um, beating Julian Marquez and Eric Anders I think really said something about Barriott. So I'm, I w- I'm looking towards him. But I want to see what your thoughts on this fight are before I make any final decisions.
1: Yeah, and and I'm kind of the same, uh, or have been the same with Curtis. I've always been somewhat. De- I've always degraded him to a touch because he used to fight at 170. Now he's fighting up at 85, and I I, I would uh, I, I would check him a little on that. But he's done very, very well, and in this fight, he's got 41 fights under his belt. He's going to be much, the much more skilled, quicker, faster, explosive fighter. Barrio's a little bit of a plotter, and it's the body of work, the level of competition that Curtis has faced, I think far outseeds the level of competition that Barrio has faced. I think Curtis is a, a rightful favorite in this fight. And I would put a very, very strong lean on Chris Chris Curtis here. He opened minus 165. I'm seeing it now, minus 180. Uh, two and a half uh, shaded to the over, minus 115. Um, I think it's going to be the, uh, the durability and uh, aggression of Barrio against the speed, precision, An explosion of Chris Curtis. And I think I'm going to lean Chris Curtis here.
0: It was Jack Hermanson who I was talking about too. That's the fighter that got me on against Curtis. And he just fought a magnificent technical fight using his size, his length and backing up and not letting Curtis inside to connect any of those hooks. So that's, uh, but at the same time, you're right. I think burial is a little bit of a plotter, which is a little bit worrisome. And if, uh, you know, Barry Olt wants to get in any takedowns or anything like that. Chris Curtis has been fantastic against takedowns. Ninety-two percent takedown defense. Um, he, he's just that's just been a very good asset that he's had. He's wrestled before in the past, even though I look at him as mostly a striker, right, a stand-up fighter, and uh, I, I just don't think that Barry Olt's even going to bother. And that was what could get him in trouble. I wonder if a ki- a KO prop, could be in order for this one, Lou.
1: I, I surely wouldn't discourage you from doing it. I mean, you look at uh, he, he KO'd Joaquin Buckley, who's a horse, and that fight against Termanston. He'd be the first to tell you that he that was a, that was an off night, a, a poor fight. And I want to even say that might have been overseas. And then the loss to Gastelum in a decision, that's a questionable loss. So uh, I, I think uh, it's not too much travel for Chris Curtis. Uh, he's, he's a bubbly, vivacious guy, trains out of Las Vegas, and and uh, I'm, I'm going to put a strong lean on him.
0: All right, sounds good. Uh, Chris Curtis, you're uh, laying a bit of juice, but maybe a mm-hmm. KO prop or something, that could be in order, or you can find a dance partner for him. There's plenty of them on this card just first look for the canadian flag sure. <laughs> uh, and then maybe you can find like a julian robertson or somebody that might uh that might fit the bill let's move on to the next fight uh neil mangi versus mike mallet and i'm looking at this price and i'm thinking to myself mike mallet do you deserve to be minus 400 against a guy that's been and as many fights as Neil has, uh, Lou, you have the table.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with that line of thinking, but, you know, most people just look and see, hey, Malik 5-0 and o is last fight. Neil Magny 2-3 and three is last five. So, you know, this is easy. Well, no, it isn't quite as easy as that. Uh, you got tremendous experience advantage in Magne. He's got a two-inch height advantage. Now, he is 36 and mallet 32, and he has a seven-inch reach advantage, does Mr. Magney. So uh, Magney's got some physical advantages. He's been in with a – he's fought the who's who. He's been in with well uh, more experienced, dangerous uh, opponents. And uh, with all that being said, you got the hometown Canadian – guy with all the pressure or everybody wants uh, tickets and everything else. Uh, so I see there being a little pressure on Mike Mallet. Uh, it's a huge step up for Mr. Mallet. And uh, the only thing stopping me from really uh, pinning the tail on Mr. Magney is the fact that Magney's had 55% of his losses have come via sub. And for Mallet, 60% of his wins have come via the submission. So maybe late in this fight is when Mallet may have a chance at something like that. But my angle for this fight, after peeling the onion back a little bit, is I saw that the uh, two and a half open, minus 115, two and a half over now is minus 210 or so. Fight to start round three, plus 120. Now, to me, that's... Almost a bet for Neil Magny. Can Magny make it to the start of round three? With his experience, his size, I believe he does. I don't think Mallet is going to put him away that easily. And so for this fight, magny Mallet, this is available at DraftKings now. Fight starts round three plus 120. Sign me up.
0: I like that idea on it. Fight starts round three. And I always write these down. Uh, I wrote down two different options, and sometimes I'll take a fight two ways if I'm getting decent plus money. Uh, I would just take possibly Neil Mangy straight up for plus 280, and then Mike Mallett by sub. You know, Mike Mallett has six submissions out of his 10 wins, so he's doing it, sim- simple math, 60% of the time. Neil Mangy, that's spreading his crutch a little bit, is getting subbed, but, uh, you know, Magny has not been KO'd in quite some time. And I'm looking back, it's all the way back to uh 2018 against Santiago Ponzinibbio. <laughs> I always struggle with his name, but uh that was a long time ago, six years practically, when he's been KO'd. I think the much more obvious way could be Mike Mallet in the sub situation. And you're and you know you gotta you're probably gonna get in the plus one hundred 20 range plus 150 i'll have to take a look at it you put a little bit more on that a little bit less on that you're playing a fight two ways that you can earn money on so i'm going to consider that one as well lou
1: yeah i'll look here mallet uh via sub plus 110 uh i i will not follow you on that one and i'll tell you why kiev because if i make the same play you just suggested which makes a lot of sense. I'll, they'll find a way for it for me to lose both bets. <laughs> I'm not, not going to stink it up for you. I'm going to let you have that one. That's not a tactic that I often use, but it's a tactic that I've seen others use successfully. Not
0: if it happens in round three, Lou. Not if it happens in round three, my friend. That's what you're hoping for.
1: <laughs> That's right, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, maybe we'll cheer for all our bets and have it happen in one three. We just won't have be on anything the same. But that would be. Kind of fun to do. Um, I will say that Magny has uh, certainly lasted against a lot of fighters. The only one he didn't get into the round, well, I guess uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, He brought him all the way to two seconds left in the second round. But uh, Gilbert Burns was the only one fighter over the last. 10, 15 fights that didn't get into round three. So you have me strongly considering your side as well. I have not played had have one play yet, but I kind of like all three of those ideas. Just not all done at the same bet. Uh, let's get into the well, co-main event here. We are at Raquel Pennington here for the women's bantamweight weight title against Myra Bueno Silva. I like Bueno Silva, and I've done well with her over some of her past fights. In um, saying that, Raquel Pennington's on a nice little five and zero run herself here, uh, beating Caitlin Vieira, Aspen Ladd, Macy Chias, and uh, Panny Kianzad. Just some pretty pretty substantial fighters. No 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 tomato cans there you know her, her her loss was back in 2020 to Holly Home that she just got outstruck in no shame in losing to Holly back then you know Holly's probably done now but back in 2020 she was still a very dangerous lady um but at the same time Bueno Silva I, I, she's strong you know brazilian She knows some of her jujitsu. She's really good in the clinch. You know, I I like how she gets fighters in the clinch and uses her knees and lifts her knees. She has a no contest overturned against Holly Holm from 2023, but she had a nice three win uh, 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 streak before that. Uh, Of course, losing to Manon Fiorat uh before who is the real i think probably the real contender in this class but uh let's look at these two ladies uh, they'll have to fight fiorad after this most likely but um i'm gonna even though uh, marina mara Mar, mara bueno silva is favored i like her to win but i actually kind of like her maybe in the prop market by submission
1: yeah, and so uh, this is uh, this is the fight that I'd like to give you my best bet on, and it's going to be Raquel Pennington. Listen, okay. uh, Myra Buena Silva is mean as a junkyard dog. She she really is. But I think we gotta understand who she is and what she is. And I, I'm seeing uh, when that the win over Holly Holm is legit. Uh, again, Holm uh, back in what, August of 23, isn't the home that Rocky beat uh, some years ago. So I give Rocky credit for that. But before, and and Buena Silva had Adderall in her system for ADD.
0: Is that why it was overturned?
1: Yes, and I don't see that as a real issue. So I don't give the, I I award her that home fight. But before that, Lena Landsberg, Stephanie Egger, Yanan Wu, uh, come on. That th- sh- th- this is a huge, huge step up for Myna Buena Silva. She's getting, I believe, a ton of recency off of that Holly Holm fight. In my just in my humble opinion, and now we, you know you look at at who Pennington's been in the, there with. She she beat a a, a killer in Vieira, Aspen Lad, who's no longer with the organization. Macy Chason. Uh, and Renault, you have to go back to 21 and 20 before you, you really find, you know, stepping stone or, you know, fighters that maybe are not of her ilk or caliber. Uh, Pennington trains at elevation. She's a no nonsense gal. She's got wrestling chops. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, looking at the total four and a half overs minus 170, uh, pennington uh her wrestling i believe is the kryptonite to the 70 percent submission rate of myra buena silva if pennington can weather 10 minutes now it's anyone listening to me and on pennington gonna have a harrowing 10 minutes in this fight but when this fight gets to round three and if it can get to round three this fight's gonna turn and i feel very very good using a best bet on Rocky Pennington here. Uh, yes, she's 35, but that also with 35 goes the experience, the level of, level of competition faced. And so uh, I think, I think this is the one that I'll hang my hat on.
0: Well, there you go. You got a,
1: a very and experienced we fight. We more of these, but we're getting better. What's We're that? getting better podcast uh, run by disagreement. No, that's good. And that's, I
0: think our first real one, um, you know, I'm not, and I'm not. I I do my card. I go through it. I do a a handicap on everyone that's not f- f- uh, full. I I write down my liens, and then I talk to Lou. <laughs> that's what I do, and I then I make or make my decisions, uh, just based upon diving back into it. So that's what I wrote was Silva by sub, but um, you make some great points because Pennington. I even remember watching her against uh, Nunez back in 2018. She took her to the fifth round, and this was Nunez, prime Nunez, right? And I thought, man, this chick is freaking tough. And uh, I don't know what happened, how she dropped the fight afterwards, but since then, she's been an absolute beast. And uh, you're right, she she's hungry. I think she's still hungry. She's like, I can get this title. Uh, this is going to be a wonderful fight, and if you look at it your way, you, you go towards the dog, and that's that's Raquel Pennington. So I have no disagreement there. Maybe a good live betting situation. This thing gets past the second round. Raquel, I think, is going to have the better gas tank maybe, Lou.
1: And, and if, the, if it goes as predicted, she'll be a bigger underdog than the buck 40, or so she is now. She opened 145 and dipped as low as 130 135 and now i i'm seeing 140 or so uh they they clearly see a tough fight i just think that wayna silva is getting too much recency uh added on to her price i i think uh i don't want to say the wrong fighter is favored because that never works for a guy but i sure do like pennington in this spot
0: all right good stuff well let's move on to the main event Sean Strickland and Driscus DuPlessis is fighting for the championship of the middleweight division, 185 pounds. And these two fighters certainly made it interesting a couple events ago going at it in the stands, did they not, Lou?
1: How great was it that Strickland, like a gentleman, turned around and Tuck said, "Hey, Gil, would you take your son and move him over here? Hey, little boy, move over here just a little bit." And the, 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 Gil took his boy <laughs> and moved him over. And then Sean got up on the chair and went at him. Such a I nice mean, guy. <laughs> Strickland is a nut. He's a, he's a wacky guy. I like him. I I really like him. I think he, I think he's he's truthful uh, to the extent that, that it hurts him. And he's got no filter whatsoever on him. Uh, but let's talk about the fight. And, and here's how I see this fight. Drakus is a beast. I mean, you'll, you'll, he just got his jacket for uh, hitting a plateau of, I think, 200 uh, clean tests without testing for anything. So the, the guy is clean. But you look at his physique, he's chiseled, he's huge for the division, and he has massive power. And, you know, they've set him in front of this guy that he's won, this, and all the way up, they were discounting him, me included. He gets to Whitaker, and I thought Whitaker would really have his way with him. And he finished Whitaker in the second round. Now, in the interviews yesterday, Sean Strickland believes that Whitaker, as well as Brunson, the fighter he beat one or two fights earlier, are dead horses, meaning there was no life left in him. That could be true. As far as how this fight goes, it's going to be two guys that that go clashing head to head. That's what they want to do. We remember Strickland with Alex Pereira. He wanted to test his medal against a striker and he got KO'd in the first round so I got I know what I'm getting in I'm getting a forward charging athletic guy with tons of power that can gas and that's important in this fight in Strickland I got a guy that can fight for three days that's all he does is fight gas is no problem he never wrestles he doesn't grapple, but he can, and he has tremendous advantages in each in this fight. The wild card with Strickland is his IQ. Now, his coach, Eric Nixick, out of uh, Extreme Couture in Las Vegas, is it's his job to keep Strickland channeled, focused on the fight and not get too emotional, but can I trust that? So I've gone a long way into telling everybody how I see this fight and I still don't have any clue how to bet it or what to bet because I don't know what I don't know if Dreckus can say something to Strickland that'll that'll throw him off guard and get him emotional. I think that if Strickland was cannoneer or if he was any of the other fighters in the division that I didn't have the IQ worries with, that uh, this would be an easy one for me because I think Strickland takes him into the third and fourth round and batters him. Rikas has said that his cardio issues were because of septic septum, septum issue in his nose. There's something in your nose called a a septum, I think. (laughs) He's had it corrected. He can breathe way better. Well, the first thing I'm doing if I'm Strickland is jabbing the bejeebies out of that nose, kneeing it, elbowing it, and making it hard for Griecus to breathe. So fascinating fight. Uh, I want to like Strickland. I'd like to bet him here. I think the price is advantageous on Strickland, but I can't trust what Kind of emotional person I'm going to get when the first when the round for uh, when the bell for round one rings. You know,
0: th- th- I agree. I don't know why. The- I think this. If I was lining this fight, it'd be even on each side, though. And you have Duplessis yes. as the dog, and so that that moves me towards him a little bit. Now I know he's not a pure wrestler, but he has grappling wins. You know, he has. Takedowns. He has submissions on his record, you know. Um, and so that makes me... And I know Strickland's fought in a lot of these guys, but his grappling hasn't been purely tested, I don't think. Um, if you look at some of his matches, uh, yeah, I know the Pereira one was strange to me. I'm like, uh, how quickly he got KO'd in that. And uh, Pereira obviously moved up to the 200 but i was on strickland against adesanya and i saw something in that and i was happy to win now izzy's uh bitter as hell uh would you like some uh, he was saying some uh interesting things, saying uh drakus is going to win inside the distance <laughs> you know you know these fighters uh, mouth off you know lot not a lot of people Uh, If you either like Strickland or you hate him, right? Isn't that kind of the way it is? You either like the guy or hate him. Well, Izzy's definitely on the hate side of that. (laughs) But, you know, I kind of like his honesty and his. uh, he does get a little bit mouthy. But I think the two things that you just nailed right there is the emotional side. I I think that he needs to keep that straight. And I think it's going to get him caught up and possibly to the mat and that's where Dracus can you know stay on top and win this fight possibly no
1: I, I, I want to respectfully disagree if this goes to the floor and anddricus do, does not want this on the floor unless it's the first round and he charges out like Brock Lesnar and tackles uh Strickland to get on top when he's fresh and dry um I, I I look at Strickland as the well more, the the, uh, more well-rounded fighter by far. Drikas doesn't want this on the, on the floor. He wants to hit him with his hands. That's where he wants Sean. And uh, I I just think, uh, I just think Sean, look at his fight against Cannoneer. Mm -hmm. Outside of Whitaker, Drikas has not fought anyone with that kind of explosion, power and movement and strickland arguably beat cannoneer he he got the loss via split decision but that could have gone either way um i remember that fight i'm gonna i'm gonna do everything i can do to try and ascertain if strickland can show me some mental focus for this fight but again gun to my head if you're gonna make me better i'm taking strickland on this on this
0: okay even with the juice so i'm gonna lean uh drickus you say drickus i I might be wrong on that. I've called them Tricker's forever, but I'm looking at a prop. Do you think this thing gets to round 4? Because these two guys aren't going to go out easily. And fight to start round 4 is plus 110 Lou. Maybe we don't even need to take a side in this. Maybe we can just, you know, root for a longer fight as long as some emotions are put in check. I I think that Strickland has the gas tank, like you said, and and Drakus. If that if it's really that uh, nose issue, maybe if that's cleaned up, this does get into round four. And if they're not wrestling on the mat, they're going to have more gas, Lou.
1: This fight opened, and and I'm tracking opening numbers like from November Thanksgiving ish. Three and a half under one fifteen. Monday it was one and a half over two twenty-five. And the one fifteen was under three and a half. Okay. Monday it was one and a half over two twenty-five. I'm looking at it today. It's two and a half minus one ten. They don't know. They don't know. Don't okay. Know. And so that this is one where you can tell. They 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 don't, it's it's all, all over the place. Now the guy that went under three and a half and has over one and a half might have done really well. I wish that was me. It isn't, but I was surprised. I thought three and a half might be the right number. The one and a half stunned me because it it, it, it lends me to believe that it was DuPlessis. I don't see DuPlessis finishing Strickland early. Rather, I think this is uh, an overfight and i If Strickland wins, I think it's because he absolutely picks him apart in the later rounds. Uh, Drikas in round one, Drikas in round two, round three, four and five, Strickland with the cardio. I think that's how I see the logical way that this fight progresses. That may be in a minority opinion, but that's how I'm uh, handicapping this fight.
0: Okay, I think it was a bad price put out there by the books based upon the emotion of what happened in the stands. You know, so, th- th- you know, that gets people thinking, oh, this thing's going to just be a quick rumble. But when they get, these are professionals. Once they get into that ring, they're going to size each other up a little bit. They're, they're, this is for the championship. They are not going to uh, play on stupid emotions that kids have when fighting in the backyard or meeting at the park. These, I think they're going to be a little bit more careful, so I'm going to lean that this thing does start round four uh, at the plus one ten. Before I do a little bit more research to fire down, but man, great stuff, Lou. What a what an amazing card that we just went over. I like it more and more. I mean, it, just from a the first look, it doesn't look as exciting, but now after the New Year's, after Christmas, you know, we're getting back into the MMA again. Uh, I I got real excited talking about this with you, but uh, there's also a few other cards coming up, Lou. And uh, I'm wondering if you have any future plays, either tied into a parlay or a play you already made or are looking to play that is even that's not even happening this weekend.
1: Yeah, of course. And I just will say one more thing about Canada people: if if you're new to fights or if you watch a lot of fights, tune in. This thing, these this thing is going to be just Crazy, and the fans in Canada will not disappoint. Um, yes, uh, there is a there is a championship fight, and it's coming up. I want to say February seventeenth, Volkanovski against Ilya Tupuria. Uh, Volkanovski opened. Uh, I think 170 and Tupuria or 175, 180, Tupuria 155 and I grabbed it and I wasn't adroit enough to release it to about business podcast people then. Uh, by the time I got it released to my people, uh, Tupuria was plus 130. He's now plus 120 or plus 125. I'm going to take the challenger against Volkanowski. I've made wheel barrels of money off Alex Volkanovski, but uh, there's a couple of things that make that draw my uh, attention to the challenger. One is Volkanovski uh, bouncing right back off of the KO to Makachev. Makachev's even come out and said he needs to slow it down, take some time. Other fighters have made this mistake. Fighters fight. They never study their history. I think never in any time in his career has Volkanovski been more susceptible. And for that reason, uh, Tupuri at plus 125 or better would be something uh, that I would ask your listeners to consider.
0: I must have made that bet when you did, Lou, because (laughs) it went down pretty much the next day or later that day when I took Ilya Tupuri at DraftKings. (laughs) at plus 154, one of those numbers. And, and then I checked it and it went down to uh one thirties and now it's down yes. into the one twenties. I can't, I can't disagree. I, I can't agree with you more is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Ilya Toporia is in a great spot. Volkanovsky's in a questionable spot calling off that loss, little bit compromised, but I've always wanted to back Ilya in this situation. I even tried to get cute when he fought uh, two fights ago or so. Um, I, I, the wrestler, I, I his, his mind's... I'm, I'm no, no. Bryce oh, yeah, Mitchell. yes, Bryce Mitchell. Yes, yes, Thug Nasty, Bryce Mitchell. I even tried to get cute because I thought Thug was just way too big of a price, and no, this was nothing. Ilya, oh. Ilya out-wrestled him, and not even just out-beat him. He, he, he's just a world-class fighter, and it is his time. You know, um, the interesting thing about Ilya, he's actually from uh, part of the either Russia or Ukraine. He's from out east out there, but he also wore, wore a Spanish flag for a while. Now he's back wearing a Georgia flag. So I'm a little bit confused by all that, but I love him in this spot.
1: Yeah, he uh, he he was born in Germany and he's he's of uh some other heritage, Russian or or some Slavic, and he uh, now is fighting out of Spain. So he's a hard guy to keep track of, and he's a little bit cocky for my liking, um, but uh, with wins over uh, Bryce Mitchell, Jai Herbert, Ryan Hall, people are going to look at that and say, this guy doesn't even belong in the cage with Volkanovsky but I, I I really look at this situationally if Volkanowski took this fight and it wasn't February or let's say this fight gets postponed and now they're gonna fight in July or August I'm taking it, it comes down and things change but as long as they keep this thing where it is, it's a situational handicap for me
0: yeah absolutely. Um, I almost thought that this weight class under Volk I guess was a little bit weaker now you mentioned some of those names jai herbert uh yeah i'm not i'm not big into damon jackson some of those guys and i actually think that volk's toughest opponent uh, that he fought three different times uh in max holloway was probably the next best fighter in this division you know that's what I fought. Uh, that's what I thought for a while. Actually, I thought Max might have gotten the best of him when they, in that split decision back in two thousand twenty. But they gave it to Volk anyway. That was the that was his only time. But uh, yeah, Yara Rodriguez, he's there too. I, I, Korean Zombie, but I just think that these two fighters are above and beyond everybody else, and which makes it such a great fight. But I will say that Ilya sometimes gets his chin out there. And and I remember when he did fight uh, Jai Herbert, he kind of got hit pretty hard by him, and uh, he was a little bit rattled in that fight. So, I, I there is a path for Volk, and if this thing gets off the plus money and it goes to Volk plus money, I might just scrap the whole thing and make money on both sides.
1: I can't, I can't see, I can't see that happening. But boy, would we be lucky if it did. Uh, without question Tupuria is stepping up big time in this fight but he's got tremendous age advantage here and how much wear and tear how much attrition has Volkanovski taken especially coming off a head kick KO some what 4 or 5 months earlier I just think it's awful quick
0: I think it's awful quick too and Lou what a fantastic breakdown of all these fights I love having you on You did a fantastic job as usual i can't wait for this event where could our listeners and viewers get your great information in place
1: well thanks so much for having me on i appreciate getting in front of all your listeners the easiest way to get to me is at gamblu.com g-a-m-b-l-o-u.com i offer blogs uh on an almost daily basis my podcast is available by, hitting, by accessing the Bout Business podcast. Each Monday, I do an opening line report podcast that's six or seven minutes long, and all I do is focus in on line movement for that week's UFC card. Now, the last two that we've done, last week and this week, there hasn't been a lot of volatility because we have NFL football we're competing with, and we're the... You know, we're the little sister in the room that gets shoved off to the side. But in a couple of weeks when the NFL is gone and all there is is basketball, we'll get a tsunami of fight fans start to pay attention, and we'll see more volatility in those lines. So Monday is the Sneak Teet podcast available wherever podcasts are available. And on Fridays, every week there's a UFC card, com. For the about business podcast and thank you for letting me say that
0: absolutely make, guys make sure you check out gamloo.com fully revamped site looks professional very well done wonderful podcast uh lou once again thank you we'll be texting this weekend
1: thanks so much kevin good luck everyone
0: now it is time for the short side of the force Sharp side of the force is brought to you by BetMGM. For an up to $1,500 up bonus, please visit the oddsbreaker slash bet now. Terms, conditions, and location apply. All right, Sharp NFL. The Texans in the Ravens, pretty equal on that. I mean, we only have four games, right? 62% of the bets and 62% of the money are on the Texans here. I mean, at the nine and a half. I personally have no play on that, as you know from earlier in the show. Uh, Packers versus Niners, uh, very equal as well. 52% of the bets on Packers, 54% of the monies on the Packers, so slight lean to the Packers so far. Uh, Buccaneers, Lions, that's where you're getting a little more sharp money. Now, this has been uh, hitting the Lions at the six, and it moved it up to six and a half, 56% of the bets are on the lions but 69% of the money so a little bit more sharper side for the lions and then for the bills and the uh chiefs there's a little bit more sharp money on the bills only 46% of the bets are on the bills but 57% of the money i think this hits three it switches completely uh, that's that's how close i think these lines are i think the market has these lines down in general pretty well from where they uh Opened. and actually they opened pretty well as well it's just the Packers really at 10 was the kicker let's move on to sharp totals here so Texans Ravens under 46 down to 43 and a half 45 percent of the tickets and 90 percent of the money uh, Packers Niners a little bit sharp side on the over 49.5 to 50.5 76 percent of the tickets and 84 percent of the money uh, Bucks Lions on the this kind of bounced around. One book opened at 50, one opened under at 47. It's at 48 and a half, but it looks like more of the money's on the over. Uh, 52% of the bets are on the over 48 and a half, 89% of the money. And then the Chiefs bills, we have it down to 45 and a half, down from 46 and a half, 40% of the tickets and only 46% of the money. So it's kind of close on that one as well. But my friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Odds Breakers. If you have any questions for our Monday mailbag, feel free to email us at info at theoddsbreakers.com. Tweet us at The Odds Breakers. Enjoy the week. Enjoy all the fights, all the games, and go get some winners.